Hear that? It's the sound of rewards points in use. Because when you transfer credit card balances from your holiday spending to the ESL Rewards Visa Signature Credit Card, you earn points to accumulate and redeem for cash back to help shape up your finances. A special 12-month intro rate also saves you money on balances transferred from higher rate cards. So make the ESL Rewards card your go-to choice every day. Apply online at ESL.org slash Visa. Membership subject to eligibility. ESL is an equal opportunity lender. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy, uh, there was very, very little Syracuse news week, week. Yeah. This week, like, this like, week, week. <laughs> one of the, you tried that, I tried a different emphasis on the uh, syllables on the way in. Uh, Jim Beheim attended the NBA Finals, that seemed like it was fun. As I mentioned on the blog, he... He had to tell everybody and bring everybody to this 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 great Italian place in Cleveland because God forbid Jim ate a different type of food in any city in America. No, uh, Jim, Jim would fit right in like in my hometown, which is just all Italian food. Um, but he's just he is so unadventurous, and it's it's really funny considering like I don't know I don't know if it's actually appropriate that he like has this very specific brand of basketball that he rolls out there, um, at least defensively, uh, or if it's you know. If it's weird that like, in one end of his of his persona he's like kind of a pioneer, uh, and then the other end he will only eat like chicken piccata in the Northeast. Yeah, you know it's, and the thing is he did it in uh, when he was in Brazil too, which is like the most damning part of all this. I really need another like log of Jim Beheim traveling and eating. Like we need Jim Beheim to go to like Thailand. We need Jim Beheim to take over for Anthony Bourdain. Well, that's what so, I remember. Somebody, somebody had the uh, a really R. great R. joke. Yeah. R.I.P. Anthony Bourdain, obviously, but somebody had a, a very good joke calling the show "Parts Unzoned." Yes, that was wonderful. <laughs> which he which... really is the anti Anthony Bourdain, and it would be very funny to see him going to these like really exotic, far out locales and being like, "I can't get a chicken parmesan anywhere." Yeah, like he's a. Uh... He's definitely one of those who would, who would walk into any restaurant or, or city and then impart his own viewpoints on them um, in, in every way, shape, and form. Uh, as Bourdain was, uh, was kind of a food admirer um, and someone who wanted to make sure that he captured the essence of what it was, Jim Beheim is like a food colonizer. And then he'll walk in and make sure that they make him chicken parm before he leaves. He's just, it's so perfect. And I don't really want him to change because that would be too weird and, and jarring. And we know he won't. Like, this man lives in Syracuse, is famous for, uh, like, alleging that it's one of the nicest places in the country to live um, outside of the couple months where it is very nice. Um, it's just, uh, he's just very much him. And I, I think we are going to ride it out with uh, with what we have at this point. I, I don't think at 70-plus he's going to be making many different uh, changes to his to his uh, his diet. No, certainly not. Although I don't know if he's ever made changes to his diet, if I had to guess. I wonder if he even tries, like, other local, like, will he go to Utica and eat greens? Or, like, will he have, like, Speedies in Binghamton? Is that also too, too like, out there for him? I think he's going to go to Utica and he's going to ask them where good Italian food is. That's probably right. He'll <laughs> <laughs> literally like... just only eat Italian food at, like, or, or like, maybe a steak. Yeah, he, he, he honestly, like, I, I don't think he eats much in the way of non-Italian food at this point. I think the most 
the most exotic thing he eats is probably the rub on Delmonico's steaks. Christ. This reminds me of, like, <laughs> not to throw shade at my parents, but uh, my parents had this, like, thing where, like, no matter where they go, they need to, like, get, like, the Greek food there. And, like, that's great and all, but, like, some places just really don't do Greek food. Yeah, that's tricky. You're yeah. not, like, that's, you know, not all that abundant. Yeah, so for a long time, me and my siblings and my wife had the joke of, uh, of uh, gotta go to the Greeks wherever my parents went. Uh, and, and literally that includes, like, middle of nowhere North Carolina, just so that they could talk about how the, the, the Greek food at that location was not good. Surprise, surprise. When, uh, when there were no Greeks to be found. And that's got to be the case for Bayheim in, like, a lot of the ACC. Like, having spent a lot of time down south, there is not a good Italian food. You're not getting good Italian food in Clemson. Um, you might get lucky in Atlanta. You're, uh, Florida will probably be okay, but not, like, Tallahassee, I can imagine. Yeah. Like, you're just you're definitely not getting good pizza. And I cannot imagine, if you're not getting good pizza, you're probably not getting good Italian food um, in general. And uh, that's probably like, it's probably the number one thing he misses about the Big East, if we had to guess. Like, if we really, like, hooked him up to – I'm sure he would say the rivalries first in the history. I'm sure if we hooked him up to, to a lie detector test, he would actually say he just hates it doesn't get to eat in Providence every year. Oh, yeah, that, that's 100% it. I, I, might, <laughs> I, I might write something tonight about parts unzoned. Um, oh, gosh. If, if, if someone on the site can lend me a, uh, a Photoshop assist, then, uh, then, then this thing's happening. And, I look forward to it. Yeah. Oh, again, hopefully. So I know I'm speaking out to just you, but if anybody else on the site, and I'll write this in Slack, um, wants to help me out there, feel free, because uh, I'd very much like to get some jokes and garbage up this week, especially in a week where we've been pretty light on uh, on the jokes and, and more on just the you know standard stuff. But anyway, um, other things about Jin this week. He, uh, he talked about Elijah Hughes. He talked about Buddy Beheim. Um, the Elijah comments were, were, were interesting. And I know somebody somebody uh, in the comments was joking that, you know, and, and Dan, you can kind of dive into the comments more. He was talking to John Rothstein. He was very complimentary. Um, and somebody joked that uh, they don't necessarily take his, uh, his assessments like that to heart, if only because he's prone to hyperbole and, and regularly wrong. Uh, when he goes out on a limb in these cases. Yeah, like, Be- it's weird. We've, we've heard some of these things from Beheim, and, uh, you know, sometimes he, I, I don't know, he, he does a good job of getting people excited. Actually, when I first saw this, these this, like, going around, I, I assumed, because it was from Rothstein, I assumed it was Rothstein doing his thing, where he, you know, said Jeremy Grant was, like, seven foot two, and, oh, yeah. and, like, every single player on the team is the best player to ever live, because Rothstein just loves basketball so much. And I don't think Rothstein thinks there are any bad basketball players. I think okay. every he, he he treats all basketball players as his his beautiful children. Um, but no, this is Beheim himself, really, really going hard on the praise for for uh, for Elijah Hughes, which is he's been kind of like the forgotten guy because he came from like not a huge program. It's not like you know when Wes Johnson transferred in, we knew he was like a Big Twelve. I think he was like the runner up to Tevin Durant for Big Twelve Player of the Year or uh, Freshman of the Year. You know, we knew what he was all about. Andrew White was like an all Big Ten type player when he came in. Elijah Hughes, you know, was a, was a nice player for ECU, but he was from like a small town in New York. He he wasn't like this huge high profile guy, but he uh, on paper he fits the profile of a Syracuse guard really well. Um, and it, it's it's easy to just like imagine that he you know might just be depth, but if he takes like this big step forward, and especially with jump shooting coming along, I know 
Um, that's been one thing we've read a lot about him, especially during this year off as his tr- as a transfer. If he's like a, a pretty reliable jump shooter with his size, he could be like a, a really dynamite piece at the top of the zone. Not totally. I mean, I kind of I don't know if he'll ever be the type of shooter he was, but like he profiles to be like kind of a Mike Benajay type. Which would be fun, and it would Which also, would be great. yeah, would have us four deep. You could you could do a lot with that. You could go four deep in terms of legitimate scores. Uh, you could play a real small ball lineup and potentially trot out, um, you know, Dolajai at the five, which would be nuts. I, I I'd love to see the the lineup possibilities if used is, is legit. Beheim referred to him as uh, one of the better offensive players that we've had in a while. Um, that's very high praise, especially it's also weird praise when uh, when Tyus Battle just said he was coming back just days before. He also complimented Battle, so it's not as if he's not understanding of that. Um, but uh, yeah, very very nice words about use. I think some of it is 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 indeed hyperbole, um, but nonetheless should be should be nice to see him out there. I think he could be kind of the missing piece. I know a lot of people are saying, oh, Buddy Bayhine can hit, can hit threes, whatever. That's great and all. Uh, we just don't really know what uh, what his defense is going to look like at that level. Um, I, so I, I think if we're banking on one of the, the, the new players um, hitting threes, I, I think it's used. Um, I, and I think, you know, between him, if he can hit it maybe a 35% clip, it's not amazing, but it's good. Um, if he can hit a 35% clip, if Battle and Howard and Brissett can, can improve their, their rate slightly, um, then suddenly you're looking at a team that, that can't hit from outside, um, even if we're not going to rely solely on it. Um, th- this could be a team that maybe you know, starts shooting 15 to 18 threes a game. And, and if you're going to hit somewhere in the 35 to 40% range on those, then, uh, then you're golden and, and you can beat a hell of a lot of teams out there. Yeah, and, and the, really the worst-case scenario, assuming Battle and Howard take, you know, at least moderate steps forward, or even if they're the same players they were last year, which I, I don't think any of us hope, but, like, that worst-case scenario, if they're the same players they were last year, and Jalen Terry is, you know, a, a moderate uh, projection of what we think he can be as, like, pretty high four-star guard coming in, like, Hughes might be the fourth guard in the team. Uh, now, if he's one of the best offensive players we've had in a while, or, like, a, a, a middling Syracuse offensive guard, like that's pretty good. That that's that's a lot more. I mean, considering what we're coming from in terms of depth in the backcourt, we're in like a much healthier situation than we have been in a long time. Oh yeah, this is fantastic comparatively, just from a depth perspective. Um, I really really like what we're getting. Like you said, even if even if all of these guys are are just what they what we think they are, um, and, and not much more, I, I think we're, uh, we're we're in pretty good shape. But. Uh, and just imagine not having to play battle like 40, however many minutes a night. Like if battle can play like 35 minutes a night during the ACC and we can get really solid minutes from Hughes who uh, similar, you know, uh, similar height and weight and, and hopefully can defend pretty well. And Carrie can, can kind of do the same thing for Howard. Like it's just going to pay so many dividends down the stretch. And I know, I know depth wasn't like, Really, the thing that I mean, we got to the Sweet 16. I don't know how much more we were going to do if we hadn't had to play uh, our main guys so much. But for a team that now has higher expectations than what we did last year, with you know the, these how grueling the ACC tournament is and then the NCAA tournament is, um, it should have really, really paid dividends next year. And you don't want you don't want your guys playing that many minutes two years in a row. It's not. I don't think it's necessarily great for their their NBA uh, prospects either. Like you, 
it's going to be tough. Battles are already going to have a little bit of a, an uphill battle in terms of, no, no pun intended, in terms of uh, having to prove that he's not just like a high usage guy who has a lot of tread on the tires. Um, so if he can kind of take some of uh, some of that workload off uh, with the help of Hughes and Terry and uh, A, be more efficient, but also it can pay dividends in terms of like, you know, it's showing that Bayheim isn't just going to run you into the ground if you come to Syracuse. Now, if that was a one-time thing, it's not a huge deal, but um, I think it's only, I mean, it's only a positive if we have like a four guard rotation like this. And uh, obviously Bayheim wanted everyone excited because I, you know, I, he, he does do this sometimes with players that don't end up panning out at least what he said. But I, if he, if Hughes just couldn't play, I don't think we would have heard anything like this. No, absolutely. Yeah. He, he's, he's, it's not as if his hyperbole is so far off. Um, you know, that it's, that it's completely wrong. It might just be a little bit of a stretch. I think, you know, you look at how good the zone was last year, look at how good it was in, in the uh, NCAA tournament in particular with guys that were playing, you know, 39 to 40 minutes a night and really being run into the ground. Imagine now taking that system and, and all the guys from it, for the most part, uh, from this past season and then plugging in, um, you know, a couple more guys that can maybe play at similar levels or, or slightly worse levels at the early parts of the year and hopefully then progressing into being capable zone players later on but you know reduce those minutes even if it's just by a few here and there um, and suddenly you're looking at a team that's a lot fresher and can really kind of hold it down on defense um, from start to finish I think you know we've talked about this before um, battle wants to prove he's more efficient NBA scouts he can do that by producing at a similar level um, with fewer minutes and fewer shots um, on the offensive end. So I, I, I'm, I'm just looking forward to seeing what type of player he can be, you know, as a, I mean, he wasn't a 30 to 35 minute per game guy um, as a freshman. Um, and he, so I want to see how he can do as, you know, a bona fide starter, a 30, 30, 30 to 35 minute guy um, now as a junior um, you know, some NCAA tournament experience under his belt. There, there's a lot to be interested in. I know that a lot of people think that he can't necessarily um, get better. Um, I, I don't think he can necessarily get better overall as a player, but I do think he can get better just in terms of showing, uh, you know, a better decision-making and better shot selection um, by way of just reduced minutes and reduced exhaustion. Yeah, and it'll also help us... Um... We won't have to play that grinding, you know, really unesthetically pleasing uh, pace of offense. We can probably modulate our offensive uh, rhythm a little bit more, play a little more up-tempo. And also we can see uh, Beheim break out some of those defensive wrinkles we've seen in years past with more trapping, uh, some pressing that we saw in the last couple of years, which we really couldn't do because of the limitations we had last season. Um, it'll be nice to have those kind of in the tool belt uh, once again because we you know, had some, some good success with that when we were able to play like eight guys a couple of years ago. Agreed, agreed. Um, again, <laughs> the more that you can do, the more that you can and play more than five healthy guys at once, uh, I think the better off you are um, under any shocking. circumstances. Yeah, shockingly. <laughs> um, also, while we're on the Rothstein comments, uh, I was watching – what is it, Inside College Basketball or whatever their TBS sports show is? I think so. Yeah, I, I was watching that the other day, like randomly, and my wife was with me, and she uh, she remarked that John Rothstein needs a better haircut. Uh, <laughs> I'm always jarring. It's always jarring to see him in person because he just doesn't look that much like his, his uh, crazy profile picture. No. Um, he looks way more human, and 
I wish he didn't. I wish he was more like his Tracy profile picture. Oh yeah, it's much easier to laugh at a robot. Yeah, uh, it's just he like he's weirdly he's just he's a there's a weird disconnect between Rothstein the actual person and Rothstein the Twitter bot, and I I don't like it. I, I wish he was more of the Twitter robot uh, galaxy brain type deal. I oh. like that a lot more. Oh, completely. I I think that, that the more the, the more people could align. I do feel like. I, I know there are exceptions, but I, I feel like I'm largely who I am on Twitter. I mean, Dan, you, you know me well enough in in person and, and online. Yeah, the, the those ones of times we've met. Um, we, we, <laughs> no, we, I think we, we've seen each other three or four times at this point. Yes, in weird various states. Yes. Um, well, two two states, just New York and North Carolina. True. Um, yeah, no, I, I think, and same thing, like, I try to generally be who I am. I, I think I think if you listen to our podcast, it's not that uh, that different than what you'll get from the, the Twitter experiences of either of us. Um, Rothstein definitely comes off as more of a human, and it's it's he's just like, you know, he's any other, he's very passionate about college basketball, but he's any other, like, sports dude um, in real life or on TV versus just the, the strange, strange personality or lack thereof he has uh, on Twitter. Um, I encourage everyone to go look up the, the David Roth Deadspin pieces about Rothstein from this past March. They're just so, they're so delightful and really convey what it is that we all love about John Rothstein um, because it's just, it's so bizarre. Speaking of Italian food, like John Rothstein and Jim Bam should definitely dine. They would definitely get along um, food-wise. Oh, 100%. Rothstein is another one who seems like he has a type of food that he's going to eat. Like, you know, I, I'm sure there are some of those like people too, where like you you love Mexican food, but like you've never been to L.A. or San Diego. <laughs> like, I'm sure Beheim. Like, has Beheim ever been to Italy? I'm sure he's been to Italy, and he probably didn't like the Italian food there. He probably didn't. You're right, but yeah, I'm sure there's there's these types of of people that you know they, they love Mexican food, but. Um, but have never been to L.A. or San Diego and, and then criticize the, the Mexican food that they had in Birmingham, Alabama, or, yeah. Yeah, or, or like St. Louis. Rothstein's just a master of tweeting that he's eating an Italian meal somewhere in New York, and he will always get the house salad, and it's, it's, just, it's just amazing. Christ. <laughs> uh, before we close out uh, the, uh, the first half of things... Um, did want to talk a little bit about some Syracuse scheduling matters. Uh, Syracuse and UConn are facing one another yet again. We knew this already uh, just because um, the 2K Classic folks are not going to, um, you know, forfeit their ability to, to guarantee Syracuse and UConn face one another. So they'll face each other on November 15th at MSG. And then uh, the winner of that game will face the winner of world's greatest college basketball team, Iowa, um, and Oregon, who uh, who should be pretty good this year. So I'm kind of rooting for the Ducks uh, for once in my life, uh, if only for the RPI boost that we would get by facing them. Yeah. Um, now, I want to avoid Iowa um, because they are a college basketball power. The college basketball power. The definitive college basketball power of Iowa, if you do not include Iowa State or... Um, or Northern Iowa. <laughs> well, or Northern Iowa. They are, they are definitively the... College basketball power of Iowa City. You can't dispute that. That's a fact. 
<laughs> I I will not have I will not hear anything uh, uh, otherwise. True facts Iowa, stated. Iowa is one of the three best teams in the state on most most occasions. On most occasions. And the best team in Iowa City. Pro- prove them wrong. They're the Big Big Ten's Iowa basketball team. I don't even remember. <laughs> I don't even remember who who it was that called. Was it Goodman? It was. It was no, it was Rothstein because Rothstein for some reason has a read on. Again, <laughs> 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 all college ball, all college basketball players are good, including those from Iowa. Yes, uh, no, Rothstein always has a read on this. For some reason, he decided that like <laughs> that that he had to like he said something nice about Syracuse and UConn as like you know former Big East powers and like longtime rivals. And then like when he broke this part, he was just like yeah, and like like and also like rising national powers, Iowa and Oregon, like. Iowa having, and like, and then we, you know, debunk that because they've been to like, what, two Sweet 16s in the last like 20 years. Um, and then like Oregon, like, okay, you made your first Final Four in the last like 70 years. Um, so we're like, yeah, fine programs, I guess. And then, and then th- this was uh, continued because then an Iowa fan listened to the podcast for reasons unknown um, and, and like yelled at me about, about my, <laughs> my opinion of Iowa. Got real mad. Got like super mad online. Um, which, like, I don't know. I'm sure you guys get something better to do than listen to Syracuse podcasts and then yell at them because they, they had an unfavorable opinion of the Hawkeyes. As evidenced by Iowa's war against the Stanford band from the Rose Bowl a couple years ago when they lost by, like, 50 points, uh, they do not. Yeah, they, they never forget. So that is... Uh... <laughs> they're, they're... Iowa weirdly... I, I'm now realizing, kind of Syracuse-y. Oh, yeah, like, super syracuse <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you think about, I mean, case in point, and, and, and while we both love Sean, how many times does Sean tweet like per week about, about the 1987 Heisman Trophy? Yep. So many. More than when he was running the site. More than, is, more than, yeah, it's like it wasn't a meme then, it is now. Um, <laughs> he, several weeks ago, tricked somebody into... Oh, that was so funny. Yeah. Basically, as, as some people, as everyone I would think that, that follows this podcast at this point knows, Sean will like Photoshop random things to, uh, to have like an impassioned statement about why um, Tim Brown shouldn't have won the 1987 Heisman Trophy. And, and he did it, a very l- lengthy one, uh, where he overlaid uh, Tyus Battles' um, reason why he was coming back statement like that was Photoshopped and, and, and created by SU Athletics. Um, and then he, he did a whole thing about the 1987 Heisman. And then, like, uh, somebody's, somebody responded to him in all seriousness and goes, man, like, I don't know why this kid's, uh, like, I don't know why this kid's talking about the 1987 Heisman Trophy um, in his statement about why he's coming back. But I looked at the numbers and holy shit, McPherson. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that was his part. He wasn't mad. He was like, he's definitely right. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely right. And, like, just like yeah, so Sean is like the resident, uh, you know, McPherson, Tim Brown truther, um, and uh, yeah, I'm I, I'm I'm cool with it, and, and I'm also cool with 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 generating tons of ire from uh, from Iowa fans for no reason at all. I'm still pissed about 2006, guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was a thing. Yeah. So we should really play that up. Like, obviously, we had to play UConn. We, you know, we don't like each other. We know there's no nothing new there. We all know. We know every. I mean, UConn is a new coach. Um, they managed to. They had like a, a record time in in running out a uh, a beloved alum who won a national championship very quickly. So bravo to them. I remember we, when I know, wanted him to coach the Knicks, like like 
a few years ago. Remember when he had to pick his basically his pick of like big time NBA jobs with huge stars attached to them? Yeah. And stayed at UConn and then got fired like three years later. That was great. Um Yeah, so like we'll we'll have plenty of we have plenty to like make fun of back and forth there. Iowa definitely uh new ground. Oregon less so. I know you have your own disdain for Oregon, but like in terms of our own programs, I don't think we've really have we ever played We have never like, played anything. Oregon. In basketball? Uh, we've never in played them in basketball either? or football. Yeah, so that, like, I mean, aside from the fact that Oregon is, like, the most, like, they get the most Nike love, and we probably get the least out of every big-name Nike school, like, that's pretty much it. So, Iowa definitely, Oregon would definitely be, like, the better game, and they're, like, just went to a Final Four, and, like, definitely a better basketball program. Like, not quite a national power, but actually, like, you could have made the argument that when it that, that statement was made, they were, like, kind of burgeoning on it. Um, Iowa not, uh, but I kind of want to play Iowa. <laughs> I just... Just for the jokes that, like, a very few of us will actually appreciate. Yeah, because, like, I know somebody, like, quoted the blog and was like, oh, like, like look at Syracuse, like, talk shit about it. I'm like, oh, God, like, let's not... Like, is the worst thing that, that can happen is, like, you know, humor is so difficult to, to convey on, on Twitter as is sarcasm, um, unless you're, like, an account known for it. Uh, we are, but uh, yeah, for some reason, not everybody's in on the joke, uh, and, and th- th- this is how people get angry online for absolutely no reason. So, uh, lo- looking forward to that, Iowa fans. Yes, and that's how we did a, f- a whole first half of a podcast when we came in with like half a topic to talk about. This this, this is where we thrive, Dan. It it, it finds a way. It, it always finds a way. Um, before we get to <laughs> halftime, though. Um, a couple other notes on scheduling. Uh, basketball is facing Eastern Washington and Moorhead State. Uh, so Various birds. Very, very, the same bird, actually. They're both eagles, right? They're both eagles. Um, this is where I inserted a joke about um, orange people and eagles um, and then walked, walked quickly, rapidly away from it um, on, on Monday. So we can, we can walk quickly and rapidly away from it here again. If we so choose. Yes. All right. Now I'm getting freaked out. We talked about Italian food, and now on the site I'm getting ads for. Oh, that's not Italian food. The first one was. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the the Vox Media ad structure is listening to our conversation. It's clear. All about that deep state. It's actually for Royal Caribbean, so it's, that's not even accurate. It just happened to be a slide that had Italian food. On it. <laughs> Close to Italian food. <laughs> I slid, I slid the, to the next thing, and then it's, it's, uh, it's like falafel, and then some people like jumping off the boat. My, uh, my current ads on the site are, I got auto glass repair. Um, I've got one of those like ones that looks like spam but isn't. I, I've, I've I have got, a Marriott Rewards. I've, I've got lids. I have Blink. I forget what Blink is. It's it, oh, it's a gym. Oh. Um. At Hotels.com, too. Ooh, BMW. High, yeah. we're high rent here. This is a great segment. <laughs> way, way to go, guys. Now you're getting... This is how... Oh, oh and now we got the common AI commercial. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you listen to Chapo Trap House, but um, I think it was Matt Chrisman um, on, on Chapo was able to like do the entire uh, like common AI Microsoft bit. But then he just started like throwing other nonsense in there. But he like knew the whole thing by heart. That's great. 
very much. Um, cool. So uh, now we are indeed at halftime. So uh, Dan, what have you been drinking? I had a couple things, I think. Uh, let me get untapped open. You know what? I actually I didn't. I haven't had anything to drink in a while. I like just didn't do anything this weekend, so I had what? no beers. Not not one. See, I had I had beers, but I had them from like the same couple breweries. So it's gonna make the uh, the comment I usually leave in the post about what we drank um, slightly barren. Uh, what did I have? Oh, so Monkish had this uh, beer that they had this beer, Space Cookie, that is like a kind of chocolate chip cookie put into the uh, into the beer uh, for a double IPA. Um, this time around, they added mango and. Uh, it was like pretty sharp and a little weird that there was mango and chocolate chips in a double IPA, but uh, it worked mostly. Um, I had from Monkish their uh, silent language, um, Wild Ale, had uh, Ghetto Style Proverbs, another uh, New England style IPA from them. Um, I was up in Pasadena on Saturday, so I had uh, Poppy Fields Pale Ale from Craftsman. And then I was up at uh, Mount Low Brewing in Arcadia, which I hadn't been to. We were uh, taking my father-in-law out for an early uh, Father's Day uh, gift. So had their uh, Professor's Pale Ale and then the uh, Hills Have IPA, which uh, was a very good name for a, uh, for a beer. So I commend them for that. Uh, but that was really it for me. I, uh, I was trying to take it easy. My... Uh, my best friend uh, from Syracuse and a uh, roommate of three years when we were there uh, is going to be out here this weekend. Um, so there's going to be quite a bit of drinking. So I figured give my liver a rest for uh, for a weekend before diving in. Yeah, I know either this weekend or early next week, I'm going to a new uh, craft beer bar that opened up a couple blocks over. That actually got like a write up in the undefeated because oh, wow. it's owned by a bunch of like uh, former HBCU students, and it, you know there aren't that many black owned uh, craft beer bars like anywhere, uh, and even in Harlem here. Um, and the beer list is like really awesome and has a lot of like stuff that I just that just does not get around at all uh, from this area. So I'm excited for that. So I will definitely have uh, a anything, but b more exciting things to talk about next week. I'm very glad to hear about that. I'm very glad to hear about the bar and your weekend. I uh, I will be at the LA Beer Week kickoff event on Saturday, so I will have a very long list of things. So might as well might as well put ten minutes on the board for uh, for beer next week. I already uh, they released the tap list today, so I've been doing my customary, which is probably maddening to most people, but also not surprising for those who have followed me or the blog for the last five years where as soon as the tap list for a big beer event is released, I sit there and rank everything um, and then map out where they are so that I can, I can optimize my time and make sure that I get all the stuff I really want. Nice. And uh, so you won't be hearing as much about San Jose State next week, but I think you'll all be okay. Yeah, you'll probably be fine. Um, speaking of obscure teams, uh, the MAC. We are, we are discussing the Mid-American Conference uh, everyone's favorite, if only because we usually face at least one team from there every year. We used to compete with them for recruits until we didn't. Um, shout out to Scott Schaefer. And uh, yeah, Dan, how do you how do you feel about Maction? I feel like, uh, and other podcasts have talked about this as well, I feel like the Mac is not as fun as it once was. 
Yeah, they've kind of given up the the corner of just like crazy shootouts to um I think like parts of the Sunbelt and Conference USA have gotten more um which we talked about the last two weeks if you didn't listen to those um have gotten kind of more of that, you know, just big point totals, draw in, you know, fun fun to bet on, draw in viewers who just want to see like a 45 to 42 point game where the Mac has kind of come back, not to, like, it's not, you know, the, the mini Big Ten that it probably, like, espouses, but it just doesn't have that same feel. And, and this year, I think it's going to be kind of a weird year for Mac because there are a couple offenses that to put up big numbers, but there aren't, like, these dynamite, um, at least on paper, there aren't, like, these dynamite, uh, like, small conference quarterbacks that we're hearing a lot of hype about going into the year, at least compared to previous years. There are definitely some more defensive-focused teams, like, at the top of, uh, the preseason ranking. So it is, it's, it's just like a weird year overall for the Mac, I think. Yeah. I feel like the last couple of years we've seen kind of this transition for the Mac where like, there are some very good coaches there, but um, most of the best coaches have already moved on um, at, at this point. So we've touched on it. Like some of the, I, the, the going, like the pacing at which guys rise up the rankings from the G five is moving a lot faster, or at least has in the last couple of years. Now there was a weird slowdown last year. I don't know if that's going to be like a new trend. Uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but um, there were a couple of years where the Mac like was losing coaches at such a high rate that I don't know that that just kind of like caused uh, an inevitable slowdown. And now we have like a little bit less of a, I mean, we, you know, we saw it with Babers leaving and, and obviously uh, Matt Campbell at Iowa state now. And you know, how many, how many straight like ACC hires were from there? Like every year there'd be at least like one or two ACC hires and obviously big 10, P.J. Fleck at, at Minnesota. So I think there might have been like an inevitable slowdown uh, of, you know, you aren't going to have that much turnover so many years in a row. And it's resulted in like, you know, Frank Solich is hanging around the top of the, the standings every year. And King of the Northern, yeah, and Northern Illinois couldn't possibly keep up the like year over year pace. And now they're kind of bouncing back, but not well enough where uh, Rod Terry is going to like get a ton of huge looks because he like kind of looked like he might lose his job there for a bit. Um so it's definitely, like, come back to the pack in terms of, of offense and also in terms of, like, the excitement over the cradle of coaches. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think cradle of coaches still applies. But, like, I'm looking at this league top to bottom and, like, where in past years, I mean, even last year when, like, Toledo was super good and, like, Western Michigan's been really good. Past years where Central Michigan was, even Ohio's best seasons, like, Bowling Green, obviously, uh, when, you know, they had the uh, kind of Clawson to Babers handoff. But, like, this year, it's kind of just Ohio. Like, and even then, like, I don't think you're looking at, you know, the Mac. Like, I don't have Bill C's, like, you know, S&P in front of me. But I would bet that the top Mac team this year is probably probably the worst Um it's been in some time, at least according to those ratings, just because yet yeah, you don't have this team that's far and away better than everybody else. Um, you don't have this team that's kind of, you know, competing for, you know, a, a lot of three-star talent and is maybe flirting with like a top 70 to 75 recruiting class, like just didn't happen this year. And, and, and again, that's how you get, you know, Frank Solich kind of, kind of sitting atop the place um, kind of, you know, undeterred maybe again maybe Toledo and Northern Illinois are there but it is a weird year for the Mac and I think it could set up um you know a, a much much stronger season next year where you could have you know three to six you know 
top 70-ish, maybe 70 to 80-ish teams. Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on like what the if there is an actual shakeup at the top of the league this year. Um, I think we all assume that Toledo will be pretty good as they always are. We've talked about that. Like they're like weirdly one of the most consistent teams in college football. Northern Illinois seems to have found itself, and they should be pretty good. But like, does Buffalo make the jump up um, that they have kind of been tagged as as having? Does Western Michigan kind of return to? Uh, obviously, I don't think they're going to go you know thirteen and zero. But do they take a step forward and, under Tim Lester? Um, recruiting says maybe. Recruiting says maybe. Um, also, like at the top, like I think Ohio is pretty consistent. Um, but it feels like you know your your Ohio team from most years, except for there's maybe a little more of a, uh, a higher ceiling at quarterback. But it seems like it's the rest of the league that's taken more of a step backwards. That's kind of opened the door for Ohio to maybe finally uh, break through and win win the league versus like Ohio taking a big step forward. I think Frank Solich has kind of has his team where it is every year now. And it, this could have been like a 2016 Ohio team in terms of quality, but the, the, you know, there isn't that dynamite Toledo or that dynamite Western Michigan team uh, out there to kind of uh, keep them in the second tier here. Right. And yeah, like, I mean, you know, the East has always been, I think a little bit behind just because like Akron and Buffalo and Kent state, have lagged for so long and like Miami of Ohio has only recently gotten consistent again. Um, Bowling green obviously dropped off and that's how you get, like you just mentioned, like that's how you get Ohio kind of lording over everyone. That's not to take away from like, the team is pretty good. Um, You know, Nathan Rourke is is arguably the best quarterback in the league. Um, They do have some really great offensive linemen. Um, They have some great guys in the secondary as well that are, you know, all conference types. Um, but still, like, Ohio playing at their best is still only maybe, like, a top 45 to 55 team in the country. And, uh, you know, that, that's not terrible, but it does get a little bit more concerning for your conference when the next best team is, like, either NIU or Toledo, who's maybe, like, in the 65 to 70 range. Yeah. Ohio is interesting. They actually, like, personnel-wise on offense, they actually kind of remind me of what Syracuse has going on this year. Um Roark obviously isn't as experienced as Dungy and, and obviously not as good, but he, he does give them a potential high ceiling. He's kind of like a, a, a boomer bust as a passer. There's a lot of, inter, uh, a lot of interceptions, uh, but also scores and has a pretty high, uh, yard. I mean, pretty explosive overall. Um, but they also style. Have, yeah. Um, but he also has this like really, uh, he's going to have a really nice compliment of offensive linemen, which you mentioned. Um, I think they have, they're returning, a, a lot of starts in between them, if not like a whole starting unit, kind of like what Syracuse has going on. Uh, and they have a, a solid running back coming back. So it's a pretty good recipe for um, probably taking a step forward from what they were last year. Uh, and, and in this lead, that might be enough uh, uh, definitely to challenge for the division, if not, you know, finally go through and win it. Now, I think there are a couple of schools uh, lingering below that could challenge them, but they're definitely going to be the odds on favorites. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm looking at this line right now. Like, this line is, like, bigger than Syracuse. <laughs> like, and that's not to disparage Syracuse. It's just to say, like, you know, they've got uh, Joe Lowry's 305, Joe Anderson's 340 at left guard. Um, they do replace the center and the right guard, but even those guys, you know, 287, 294 uh, for Brett Cottrell and Darrell Wood. Um, Austin Pleasance is 328. Like, this is a big line i mean and and you know this isn't this is just kind of what happens when you have a lot of state schools in the midwest 
But, like, again, a lot of these guys are good. Some of them might have some NFL um, aspirations. Uh, down the line, this is really kind of, especially among the top teams in the MAC, a lot of big linemen. But um, I think Ohio just kind of stands above a little bit, and it helps, too, when you've got a, an experienced, um, you know, scrambler like Nathan Rourke. Um, who can kind of make some things happen with his legs. So I, I do really like what Ohio has, and I think, again, in part, it's because Ohio's been able to, to really be consistent under Solich, and, and the other part of that is, is obviously because, you know, everybody in the East is taking kind of a step back. Like, I think, you know, Buffalo is, is barely going to be a top 100 team, um, and, and they're the odds-on favorite, along with maybe Miami, Ohio, to finish second in, in, in the East. Yeah. Looking at Buffalo, like is Lance Leopold like the most interesting um, coach in this conference? Like in terms of like who might take the next step, aside from Jason Handel, is probably the obvious one. He's the most alliterative. Um... Definitely the most alliterative. <laughs> I, uh... Well, Chris Creighton has uh, has something to say about. Oh, that's that. true. Creighton's another guy who like if Creighton. I, I really like Eastern Michigan. Um, I think Creighton can potentially push them forward. I, know, I think Bill C's a little bit higher on them than than some other. Uh, preview publications. I, I could see the problem is just the, the, the division EMUs. And if EMU is in the East, EMU would probably contend with Ohio at, at the top. Um, but, you know, I, I think Leopold is, is an interesting one if he can get Buffalo to be something. Um, but he's also a guy who, you know, can stick around a while. Um, Candle, I think this year is going to prove a lot for him because it's going to, you know, ask, okay, like, you know, you you did plenty with with, with Campbell's guys. Can you um, now that the team is is a little bit more, uh, you know, Candles? I mean, obviously Candle was too like an you know an internal promotion, but um, seeing Candle be able to, you know, maybe if they can win the West again this year with a team that's predominantly his guys, you know, suddenly yeah, maybe he gets some looks if if the American Athletic Conference, which does have a, a, you know significantly more money available to them than the Mac. Maybe they give him a look. Maybe, um, you know, if a random Big Ten job becomes open, and honestly, I don't see it. Um, but if, I mean, high Michigan State, um, if something like that happened, like maybe Candle gets a look. But um, I, I think a lot of the Mac guys, like we talked about, you know, for for some of the other leagues, um, could end up staying put for another year or two until, you know, the recent um, kind of carousel uh, turns over. Because I think a lot of a lot of big jobs um, have really rotated in recent years, and the only way you see a shakeup is if, like, you know, somehow, like, you know, Saban surprisingly retires or goes to the NFL again. Uh, USC turns over, Texas turns over surprisingly again. Oklahoma turns over maybe and doesn't, uh, you know, bring somebody up from internal. Like, it, it would take a lot of things to happen all at once. Um, for, for, for the type of like large scale changes at the uh, at the power five level that um, you know we just kind of got done with over these past couple seasons yeah looking like candle's definitely the only guy who I could even see unless you know someone breaks through and has like a crazy season that we don't see like if Tim Lester brings Western Michigan back to the Sugar Bowl <laughs> or whatever um, which would be you know we'd have way more to say about that but looking at candle's profile like Toledo is his only FBS stop. He is a Mount Union grad. He coached uh, wide receiver and offensive coordinator at Mount Union from twenty three or two thousand three to two thousand eight. It's a very good program went... for those who aren't aware. Yes, um, at the they're D three, right? They're like uh, a D three like yes. title contender all the time. 
Yes. Yeah, and then he went to Toledo in 2009, and he was at Toledo the entire time up until he was promoted to head coach. He's from Ohio, so I think the best thing he has going for him, aside from the fact that he's you know 21 and seven as a head coach to start, um, a he's recruiting like crazy for for a MAC team. Um, not, not it's way too early to like take like national rankings into account really for the 2019 season because it's so many it's so much about numbers, but. Like, right now, he has the 43rd-ranked class because he has nine guys in, and I think they're all but one or three stars. Last year, he signed, like, a top uh, 70 class. The year before, he had the number one class in the MAC. Um, he's recruiting, like, at a, 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 a close to a different level from the rest of the conference. And also, the fact that he is, you know, coming in after Matt Campbell, um, if someone wants to try to catch lightning in a bottle like Iowa State did, they can point to Candle as, you know, a guy from his tree who can hopefully have the same kind of, like, jump start that Campbell did. Now, you know, you could also then just point to Tim Beckman and say it doesn't always work, and we, we've talked about how how quickly Toledo has, uh, you know, or how, how effortlessly Toledo seems to make coaches work, and some of them turn, turn into Nick Saban and Kirk, uh, not Kirk Frentz, uh, Gary Pinkle, uh, and others turn into Tim Beckman, but like you said, I, I think there's enough questions where he might not even get a job after this year just because this conference overall has like a weird mix of like older coaches and unproven guys and guys who just aren't there yet. Uh, and then it's it really going to depend on how many openings there are to see if Candle will get a look because he he is just kind of plugged into Toledo and there isn't much else there in terms of like who he's been exposed to. Right. No, I, I think that that's completely dead on. Like there's... Again, it's not to disparage everybody at the MAC level right now. It's just to point out, like, okay, it's kind of weird. Like, you, you know, you just have you have a lot of turnover all at once, and then you have a lot of just like question marks about about what happens going forward, as we see in you know, like the current ACC, um, the Pac-12 uh, of late, and that's how you got this off-season's turnover and, and potentially next off-season's turnover, um, where if everyone's getting better all at once. Um, does kind of say well somebody has to has to move up here um but looking around the mac um you know i i, I think i think we've established that ohio is probably the best team um that's just dependent on whether or not they can actually win the league um dan who do you think is the worst team in, in this conference um it's probably our our good friend sean lewis's 10 state golden flashes right probably um there's a reason why they couldn't hire anyone, and and no offense to Sean Lewis, but he definitely skipped the line, like in terms of getting a head coaching job. Like they, Kent State had one of the more uh, bizarre coaching searches that you'll find. I think they went through like over a dozen names before they they got uh, they got Sean Lewis to go there, and hopefully it works out because I think we all like Sean Lewis. But yeah, that that's a for whatever reason just has turned into a really challenging job. He might, uh, yeah, he might have quite a few sad Drake gifts to. Uh... <laughs> to share this uh, this off season. I mean, he might be tracking with Drake, um, in terms of like real life as well. Hopefully not, since, since I feel like a lot of terrible. Oh. I feel like a lot of terrible yeah, things have been revealed. But but yeah, I, I, I'm hoping not literally for him personally. Um, I also hope his football program doesn't have like a secret child. That'd be weird. I don't know how that would even work. He, they have like a small like D three school that they don't want to tell anyone about. Like I don't know. But yeah, I mean they they are in they're going to be in full rebuild. Uh, and the best thing you can say is like unlike Tim Lester who took over uh, a team that was um, thriving when he got there because of uh, 
the 13-0 and season, um, he's going to have a lot of rope, which is nice. Oh, yeah. He, he, he's going to have a good four or five seasons, hopefully, to fix this. Um, and I, I think the, uh, you, kind of, you kind of understand that when, uh, when you're looking at the full teardown action. Um, and, and he's going to try to, to mimic you know, what Babers has done with the spread, and, and I really hope he does, um, just because you know, I don't have anything against Kent State. They're fun. I don't want to schedule them, and I think Dino's smart enough not to. Um, just because I don't want to, I mean, I'd schedule them like now, like in the next two years, fine. But like, again, like Lewis also knows those guys like Kaufman, who's the defensive coordinator also knows those guys. Like, you know, there, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons why you don't want to, you know, face a a known entity, uh, necessarily. Unless you're Nick Saban. Unless you're Nick Saban. In that case, you definitely do. Um, just because Nick Saban has this weird ability to, uh, to kind of get past that, you know, known uh, quantity type thing. I think also, like, at that level, it's a little bit different versus, like, what Syracuse has suffered from in recent years um, is just when, when when you're building things still and there's not that much difference between the guy who left and, and, and the guy who's still there in terms of talent level um, or in, in the case of what happened at Middle, with Middle Tennessee last year, I think, you know, Schaefer just knows how to play mind games a little bit and uh and i don't necessarily know if and this isn't dino's fault i don't necessarily know if dino um was ready or 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 understanding of just how many mind games were hanging out there and uh unfortunately came back to bite us so um i don't think that would happen if we faced kent state especially because of the talent disparity but um yeah maybe kent state's good someday um i do actually think to be honest like that it's not as clear-cut about at the bottom. Like, you could see Ball State take that mantle. Um, I actually think CMU could contend for it. That's not to say that, like, you know, Bon Amigo's terrible, but they, in the last couple seasons, CMU's really turned over most of their NFL-caliber talent. Um, and I think this year's going to be a hard reset when, uh, when now you really are, like, at rock bottom with quarterback. Um, you're replacing most of the defense. There's a, there's a lot of question to the Chippewas, too. And, and Bowling Green's been pretty terrible since Babers left, and they are now like they have fewer and fewer of his players. Um, Mike Jinx is uh, six and eighteen there through three years. Also, a terrible um, hire. Yeah, fun fun fact, and I want to know if you know this. I just discovered this two minutes ago. Do you know who the Bowling Green defensive coordinator is? I feel like this is. I feel like I remarked about this like to myself recently. Um. I'm not looking it up, I swear. Um, he just got hired this year. He he was he was not in the FBS level last year, but he is a a former FBS head coach. And I'd say I'd venture to say a big name for reasons that you don't want to be a big name. It's not Bill Callahan. No, that that'd be fun. I'd, not you're you're on a you're on the right path. <laughs> There, there are connections to Bill Callahan. Bo Pelini. Uh, very close connections to Bo Pelini. It's Carl Pelini. Yes. <laughs> Six degrees of Bo Pelini here. That was, that was impressive. Literally almost nailed it on desk two. Just missed, like, the, the year he was born. Yeah, Carl you know. Pelini, who, who was last seen, well, technically last seen coaching under his brother at Youngstown State. But before that was was the five and fifteen head coach of FAU who was fired in disgrace after 
um, being caught doing cocaine, I think. Just like uh, 22% of men's lacrosse players last year. Yes, allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly on Carpolini. That was a poll for Benzel Cross. <laughs> do, do, do better, sport. Christ. Um, all right, before we wrap up here, because th- this thing could go on quite some time, and I, I see us teetering towards it. Um, we, we started talking about Carl Pellini, so yes. Yes, we were, we were getting there. Um, okay, Dan, A, who do, you, uh, who do you see winning each division? And, uh, and B, who do you see representing this league in the... Uh, I don't know. I guess they're the Dollar General Bowls, like the, the the best one somehow for them. Oh, that's that's so terrible. It's only going to get worse. Like Mountain West too. They're they're, they're about to enter that that realm of Arizona Bowl being your best bowl. Yeah, because they're in bump from Vegas. Yep. Um, yeah, they they just talked about this on PAPM like uh, not semi recently. I think like they need to figure out like a better structure for getting making the bowls where you can have more intriguing matchups that aren't just, like, G5, G5, because, you know, they're, they're just... Right now, like, the bowl matchups are really, really segregated, which isn't great. I think, by default, in the West, I'm going to go with Toledo. Um, I'm concerned about the quarterback post-Logan Woodside. Um, I think there's a fair chance that, you know, they have no one with any real experience there, so... But I, I trust Handle. I think overall their talent's the best in the conference. Um, I'm gonna go with Ohio in the East, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna lean Ohio for the championship. But I think it's pretty up in the air. Yeah, I, I gotta agree with you there. Um, I think Toledo still wins the conference, not the conference, the uh, division in the West. But uh, I think Ohio takes this. I think just by way of you know them standing pat and everybody else taking like a half step back um ohio was a contender last year they have been most seasons of late especially uh, well actually even when bowling green was uh was kind of firing on all cylinders ohio was just kind of like sitting around around the second place third place area um so yeah i i, I see ohio taking this um, i think they're the class of the league just by way of uh default um and i think that changes um next year when I don't think they take a step back, but I think everybody else takes that, uh, you know, aforementioned step forward again. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's legit. I think NIU could rise up, but I'm just not sold on them as a program right now. I think they're definitely, I think Rod Terry's probably out of the, the woods in terms of, like, in real threat to get fired soon, but, like, they were there for a bit um, after really falling from the, uh, the, the, the highs they had in the early 2010s. So it wouldn't be a shocker if they ended up winning the the West, but I'm just like haven't been super impressed by them. Even last year when they bounced back to eight and five, I just don't think they're the same program they were. No, and I mean last year to be honest, a lot of it was based on that defense. Like the defense only let up about 22 points per game, which is pretty nice. But they lose a hell of a lot of those guys, um, including like most of the back seven. Like there's just a. It's, it's like I said. I think everybody took like a half step back. Um, and, and, you know, I, I still don't really believe in Carey, but um, I think I think he can do enough to, to stick around this year. And then next year, I think he might be able to take that step forward again. Um, he's going to be he, he's he's one of these guys like like a lot of these coaches, unfortunately, like you're either you're either somebody trending up and out or you're somebody kind of hanging around. Um, and, and I think the Mac right now might have a, a few too many guys just, quote unquote, hanging around. Yeah, I mean, him, I mean, Terry Bowden is who he is. He's done a nice job, all things considered there. 
Um, Mike knew like he could be on the way out soon. Um, Bonamago, I don't think they're. I think they're going to give him a decent amount of time because he. Yeah, he's he's an alum. Got them out of a, yeah, he's he's an alum. We got him out, out of a rough spot. Chuck like, Martin is like, eh. But like Lester too, like another guy who's like he's not going anywhere. He's an alum. Like, like there are too many guys in this conference right now that like could just like you know five and seven their way to like a a, a six year stay. Yeah, like Solich, I mean, how many years, Solich is going to be there until he wants to retire, and I don't think he's going to do poorly. Obviously, we picked them to win the conference, but, like, there just aren't, there aren't that many guys who are a real threat to leave, and there aren't that many guys who are really a real threat to be fired. And it's a, it's made, it makes for what could be a pretty stagnant conference overall, which isn't the best thing if you're the Mac. You want to be more exciting and more, uh, you want to have more, intrigue than what I think we expect out of this league this year compared to like, you know, a couple of years ago when there were definitely more interesting names and, and hot coaches and people you want to see, if, especially if you're like a Syracuse a couple of years ago, you were watching Bowling Green on a stretch because you knew Babers to be the guy. You're not, there isn't that intrigue right now with this league, at least as of now. Now, like if a Lester or, um, you know, a, a Leipold or a, a Creighton even was really to rise up and, and, you know, have a go on a, a crazy run or a candle, obviously, if he was going to like run the table, then that changes. But projecting right now, it's just not what you often see from the Mac. I concur. I think that's a, I think that's a good place to end us. Yeah, sounds good. Next week, we're uh, we have the Mountain West, which is definitely, uh, you know, we get the big bump into the sub power five uh, pair of leagues. Yeah, and uh, although Mountain West on some some also weird footing, we'll we'll talk about that next week. Teaser sounds good. Teaser for the league that you probably knew we were going to talk about if you follow this at all. The truth. <laughs> um, all right, that was Dan. I'm John. Uh, thank you everybody for listening to Train Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or on Blog Talk or any other service that you listen to podcasts on, and uh, go orange. Go orange. With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000-square-foot showroom is Court-certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.